Spouses can be a very big part of our golf life. So how we interact with them concerning the game of golf can be very, very important. It's a cool topic to discuss. Let's get into it. Welcome to Data Access Golf, your home for rapid golf improvement. And now, from the thin air of the Rocky Mountains, next on the number one tee, your host, Aaron Stewart. Hi, welcome to another episode of Data Access Golf Podcast. My name's Aaron Stewart, happy to be with you today. Kind of a cool day, cool topics, um, and I, I mean cool in kind of two different ways. One, when I left the office on Saturday, I had turned off the heat to uh, kind of keep the noise down for the podcast back on that day, and I, I neglected to turn it back on, and it got cold over the weekend. So I've turned the heat back on. I normally turn it off when I record a podcast. I'm not going to do that today because it's freaking freezing in here. So apologize for that. Um, if you can hear it in the background, I apologize. But please, for the sake of my health, I hope you can be patient with me. But as far as topics go... I was really, uh, I'm very happy for Lee Westwood and Matt Kuchar. They, um, obviously sort of being older on tour, and I don't know if it's because I'm in my 50s, I always kind of tend to pull for the older guys. And it was just really cool to see them both win. I don't know the kind of mental gymnastics you have to go through when it's been, I guess it's been four and a half years for both of them, and we'll get into that in a second. But after four and a half years of not winning, and realizing that you are sort of moving up there in, in age, that just the mental gymnastics, right? The mental stress that you would have to go through to get one of those victories done is probably, it's beyond our comprehension, I'm sure. And all the, I, we're all human, right? So I think we can kind of understand what was going on, and we've probably all felt that in our own way, but to do it in front of a bunch of cameras, and I noticed that uh, Matt Kuchar had his wife and kids there, and and I don't know what ages they are, but for them to remember back four and a half years has got to be, this has got to be a way different situation. And that's probably added pressure. But I love, I love to see the families um, celebrate with, you know, with their dads or moms when they win a tournament like that. I think that that's always super special, really cool to see. So, um, but the, uh, this whole concept of, of waiting that long and, and, you know, your, your age kind of creeping up on you is a, is a fascinating topic probably for another day. But what really struck me, I mean, the, whole, the oddity of this whole situation is that Lee Westwood at 45 and Matt Kuchar at 40, the last time they won on their respective tours was four and a half years ago on the same day. And I believe it was April 20th, 2014, if I'm remembering what I read um, this morning. Four and a half years ago on the same day, Lee Westwood won on the European Tour, Matt Kuchar won on the PGA Tour. And here we are, sort of slow forward, four and a half years later, they win again on the exact same day to break their droughts. And I don't know what the odds are of that, but it's got to be astronomical, right? One in a billion or a trillion. I don't even know how you take all the variables and, and put that in to create some kind of a, an accurate representation of what the odds are on that. But they're very high. I think we can all agree on that. So super cool story. Very fun to see sort of the um, elderly statesmen of the tours both win. Super fun, super excited for them. And that kind of brought up this idea in my mind. It started, I started thinking about it actually over the weekend. 
But this, this concept that, I mean, you look at Lee Westwood, I know that he's been through a divorce, and that was really tough on him, um, obviously, in his, I think it showed in his play. Then you see Matt Kuchar, who has you know, a loving wife and kids, and that situation, he's, he's always been known as kind of a family guy. You've got Jordan Spieth, who's now getting married, or has got married, I don't know, that seems to be a very, a very well-kept secret. So bravo to them, I think that that should be a private situation, so good for them. But anyway, so this, this whole idea of golf and spouses and relationships and all that sort of spin, spun around in my head. And so I wanted to kind of get, on, get online and, and let's talk about it a little bit. And so the title, Golf and the Unsupportive Spouse, is sort of a, it's a bit of a tease title, right? Because I am not going to bag on my spouse. I love her like crazy. She is the best thing in my life. There is nothing that comes close to who she is and, 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 and who she helps me to become and who she encourages me to become. So not bagging on her. I do not condone or agree with bagging on our spouses, right? So let's throw that out right there. I don't think it's cool. I, I don't find it entertaining. It's not the way to go. So, but when it comes to golf, uh, when Carol and I got married, we were obviously younger and I wasn't playing a lot of golf back then. It wasn't something that was important to me. And this kind of goes back, my grandfather, I, I spent my whole early golf life really with my family, with cousins and my grandpa playing golf. And when grandpa passed away in 2005, I was just sort of uh, so hurt by that, that, and I didn't really realize it at the time, but it kind of sucked the passion for golf out of me. And I really lost interest to play as much golf as I used to. I enjoyed it. I did get out every once in a while, but it wasn't the passion that it was before. And as I, I've, I've mentioned earlier, as I got sort of, Carol and I got married and we had our first child in, in 1999, and as, as our oldest got older and he approached sort of that age of seven, I, I sort of remembered back to when um, grandpa and, and I were on the golf course and that relationship we had, and that sort of brought out in me this idea that, you know what, I wanted that with my, my children. I wanted to have that relationship that I had with my grandfather and, and the one that we were able to establish on the golf course together. I wanted that with my kids. And so I started playing golf again and got way back into it. And so I had to then deal with, okay, now that I've got this thing that I, I really love again and it, and it started coming back, now I've got, a, I've got a, a wife to worry about. And she had not really been part of my life when I went golf, when I was golf crazy. She knew that I loved golf and she actually bought me a, a golf club our first Christmas together. And that's a whole nother story, but probably worth sharing. So if, if spouses are living out there, I just, wanna, I just wanna say this with all energy of my soul, we love you, but please don't buy us golf clubs because we kinda know what we want and we know what we need. And it's very, and it's not your fault. There is no way for you to know because it is so personal. Our golf clubs are so personal to us and knowing exactly what we're struggling with and the whole thing, we don't want to bore you with those details, or at least I hope that we are not boring you with those details because they can be boring if you don't geek out on golf, but just, you know, save yourself and don't buy us golf clubs. Right. If you want to buy us a gift certificate, you want to get us a gift certificate to a golf shop, great. Then we can run out and choose our own stuff. But buying somebody else a golf club, even if you love them to pieces, is probably just not the way to go. So take that off your Christmas list. Do not buy a golf club for your spouse. In our particular case, it actually turned out to be quite fortuitous and wonderful for me as far as I'm concerned because she, she gave me the golf club 
and it wasn't uh, it wasn't it wasn't what I needed, right? It was a old ping three wood with a steel shaft, and that was before ping had any clue how to make a decent dry uh, a decent wood at all. No offense to you, ping. I love you now. I I play you so. I play your driver, please, no offense intended, but you didn't know how to build a three-wood back in the day. So it was one of those, and it just, it, it was wrong, right? Steel shaft, the whole thing. So I took it back, and that early in our relationship wasn't, that was not good on my part. I would have been far better off to put it in the bag and just played with it, but I didn't. Um, and plus, we were a little tight on funds. So I took it back and returned it. I didn't actually... Um, get a different club, we, we weren't financially in that place. I just returned it and took the money and, and used it for something else. Well, that really hurt her feelings. As, as you know, newly married, why wouldn't it? it and I, I completely insensitive move on my part, but I'm, I'm a moron. Well, you'll, you've probably already come to that conclusion, and uh, you're right. So I, I didn't, and so she came to me and said, look, I had really, I had such a hard time buying you something. I thought, I, I thought about it. I worked really hard. I got you this thing that I thought you loved and you just returned it. And that has been devastating. And I felt really bad. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. But then she made this proposal. She said, I, I, can I just propose that we never buy gifts for each other ever again? And I'm like, what do you mean ever again? Right? <laughs> Let's clarify this thing. She's like, no anniversaries, no Valentine's Day, no Christmas, no birthdays, nothing. We just don't buy something for the other ever. I'm like, deal, you know? Hey, you know, because I'm not, hey, if when it comes to, you know, working on picking out a perfect present, uh, she's going to put in way more effort than I'm going to because I can't, I can't figure out what she's, what she's going to want. I mean, I can kind of come up with some ideas, but usually those ideas are like three, four years ago and I'm way off. So this was a, seemed like a perfect situation. So we, I don't know if we, we shook on it or did something else to consummate the deal, but the deal was done. And so I have literally not bought something, a, a present for Carol since. And now we're into this thing over 20 years. And so we don't buy each other gifts. We just kind of take care of our needs kind of separately. And, and then we focus our gift giving and stuff to the kids and talk about, and, and that's something that we then can do together and, and, and take care of the kids. So again, so, sort of a side note, but hey, if you can pull off anybody who's, hey, Jordan, if you can pull off that deal, not bad. Um, I, I, I will say I, I have gotten plenty of arguments over the years that, hey, then you don't think about her enough and, and, and then you don't you know, put your heart out there and whatever. And I, I got to tell you, I do think about her all the time. I think about her a lot. I think about our relationship a lot. I think about how much I love her a lot. But I cannot, for the life of me, figure out what to buy her. Even if I sit around and just for a mental exercise try to figure out what to buy her, I have no idea. I cannot keep up with, with what she needs and, and the changing and, and trends and clothing and, and makeup and hair and the whole thing. I have no idea. Completely lost Chinese to me. I cannot, I do not speak whatever that is that keeps my lovely wife exactly in style. I, I don't know any of that. I don't know the background. I can't figure it out for myself. So if you can get that deal pulled off, I can promise you it, it simplifies your life. You will hurt your partner's feelings far less often by then picking out a, a completely unthoughtful gift, you know, you know, like a ladle, nobody or a toaster. Nobody wants those things in a relationship. But um, that's kind of where my mind goes. What do we need, right? That doesn't work. So a couple things, and again, I guess this is more towards 
if there's some of you who have gotten into bad habits, hopefully this helps. And if there's some of you that are newly married, uh, like Mr. Mr. Spieth, Jordan, if you're listening, these are just some, some things that I've learned over the years, right? Some, some uh, marital, spousal sort of experiences that I'd like to share, and hopefully we can, can do better as a, a group of golfers to treat our spouses in a way in which we can further enjoy the game of golf and maybe even get to play it a little bit more. So first thing, uh, and I talked about it, do not bag on your spouse when you're out playing. It's, uh, there's no point. I guarantee that the guys you're playing with, not marriage counselors, right? So not going to be able to provide very helpful advice. And to my golf buddies, guys, I love you, but yeah, your marital advice, not the best, right? So we kind of stick away from those sorts of things. We do talk about relationships and this, that, and we have some great conversations. But as far as going negative on our wives and stuff, that's just not something that we play around with. And I'll say this too. When you talk negatively about somebody else that you love and you care about, I believe that that kind of just changes your attitude towards them. And whether you know it or not, on a subconscious level, you just act more like a jerk, right? If you're talking negative about them, you're just acting more like a jerk. If you're going to speak negatively or what you consider to be negatively about a person, do it with them in the room. And if it has to be with somebody who's a, a coach or somebody helping you through it, that's great. I think that that's fantastic. Carol and I have been to two marriage coaches over the years, and, and I love it. I don't know why we have such a sort of a, a weird connotation about going and getting some, I don't if you want to call it counseling, fine, I call it coaching, but if you've got somebody who's very knowledgeable in a certain topic, and you're having some troubles, and, and sometimes we get in these situations where we're so close to the situation, we can't see, we can't see what it really, what, what's really going on, and we kind of see, we need a third eye, sort of a high-level perspective to kind of help, help us see Right? And then emotions get involved and all that. So we've used a marriage coach on two occasions, and it's been awesome, where we kind of go in and talk about how we're feeling. And then um, when the emotion kind of gets up, this third person kind of help sort of restate things in a different way that the other person can kind of understand. And just having a third person in the room kind of keeps the emotion down, and you just talk through it. And we have always come out the other side of those coaching sessions doing much better. I think it's fantastic. And we... You know, when we struggle in a golf game, we'll run, we, we will run out and find a golf coach in a heartbeat. If we're snapping it left out of bounds every time, we will run and find somebody to help us. And I think that, that marriage coaches can be super helpful. Not all of them. I realize there's some good ones and some bad ones out there. So talk to your friends and stuff and see if they've had some, um, some good experiences with marriage coaching in the past and, and find one. And when things get a little rocky and rough, get a session. I think that that's fantastic. So that would be my first bit of, bit of advice is don't bag on them. And if you do have something negative to say, talk to them about it. And if it's super emotional, get somebody to come in and help you with it. Perfect. I think that that's great. I think another thing to remember is golf is not cheap, right? It, it's expensive when it comes to just the equipment and it comes to your greens fees when it comes to, you know, when you're out on the course eating, they don't make that the super cheapest food in the world. You know, you usually have a meal afterwards. Golf balls are not cheap. Um, so there's a lot of expense in this. So that can put some sort of strain on the budget, just depending on where you are economically. Let's just, let's just admit it, right? Let's just admit it. And whatever sort of deal you want to work out with your spouse over that, Work it out. So if they want to go and use the same amount for something, if they don't care, great. But at least have the conversation. I think a lot of resentment comes when you're dropping a bunch of money on some sort of a hobby that they're not part of, 
it's very easy to feel like um, sort of left out and it seems sort of unfair. So at least let's at least acknowledge that's going on, right? Now, they may have expensive hobbies and things too. Great, but let's, let's just at least be honest and have the conversation. Say, look, honey, I realize that golf, I love it, but it costs a lot of money, so this is how much is going on. And, and if your relationship isn't to a point where you can talk about that sort of stuff, what does it take to get it there? I, mean, I don't know, but I mean, just be open. Maybe it's time to bring in, the, bring in a marriage coach for that discussion. I don't know, but I think it's, it's wise to have that discussion just to kind of keep everything up and open, and that's, and that's the situation, okay? And, and let's understand, too, that there's a huge time commitment to that. You're talking four to six hours on a Saturday, and if you've got kids and to-dos to do around the house, then you come home and you're in the yard for the next four hours or whatever, the whole day is shot and she didn't get to spend any time with you or he didn't get to spend any time with you, that's going to hurt. We're busy during the week. They hope to have some of our time during the weekend because they love us. Nothing wrong with that. And if we're then blowing it all on a bunch of golf every single weekend, then we've got a problem. And I think that we should have a problem, right? If they love us that much, you're gonna have to, we have to expect that they want to spend time with us. And hopefully we want to spend time with them. And so I think that we just need to be sort of uh, considerate of that. And I don't know if that, for me, that means we try to get the earliest tea time we possibly can on, on Saturday. And I try to be home somewhere around 11, 12 o'clock. My wife likes to sleep in. Kids kind of move slowly. So I play with my buddies in the morning. I try to be home around 11, 12 o'clock, one at the latest, when they're just sort of getting up and getting moving. And then we have the whole rest of the day to be together and do whatever we need to do. So for us, that works. However it works out in your family, great. But it's a conversation that I think needs to, needs to happen because it is a huge time commitment. Another thing you can do is make golf sort of a weekday sport. And that works out really well. Carol knows that from 6 to 6, you know, Monday through Friday, and sometimes Saturday, depending on how work's going, I'm pretty locked up with work. I've got a lot of stuff going on. And so she kind of knows that that time is kind of carved out for me. Now, how I schedule that time, because she has now given me this, boom, these, these 12 hours a day to do what I need to do to get things done, if I'm responsible in scheduling my time, I can carve out some time to get, to get some golf in. You know, a scramble tournament here, go play 18 holes with the guys here or there. But it also, and, I, and this is why I love being able to practice inside with the whole data access golf sort of training, is that it can be done here in the office and it can be done pretty quickly, right? With this accurate data, you get really good feedback. You can get a good practice session in and improve your game in a short amount of time. And that opens up windows of time for whatever you want to do. So that's sort of it. Just kind of be responsible and think about your schedule and how it affects your family and just work around it. Make sure that it fits for you and it works for you. They just want to be with us, and I think that that's great. I think that's awesome. I guess sort of the, the last sort of thing that I think is wildly important is if you do, if we do get the opportunity or you get the opportunity to go out and play golf on a Saturday and it cuts into the time, no, you know what, it doesn't matter. If you get to go play golf, I don't care how poorly you play. I don't care how cold it was. I don't care how big a jerk you had to play with because you weren't allowed to play alone in your twosome and you were matched up with a, a jerk and his best buddy. I don't care what the situation is. Somehow or another, between the time you leave the parking lot of the course and you get home, you get yourself in a really, really good place mentally so when you walk through that door, you are sweetness and light. 
this is just psychologically a great way to go. If every time you walk in that door, sweetness and light, smiling ear to ear, then your spouse who loves you and loves to see you happy and loves to be with you when you're happy and really, really struggles when you're not happy and really struggles with the sort of mood the house falls into when you walk in a Debbie Downer is going to recognize your happiness, is going to recognize that every time you walk in that door after playing golf, you are as happy as she ever sees you or he ever sees you, your spouse ever sees you, and that's going to sink in over time. This, this is how Carol works with me now. If I'm bumming out a little bit, she will point to the door and tell me to go play golf because she knows when I walk back in the door two hours later or four hours later or whatever later, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to have a smile on my face and I'm going to be in a very good place. Now, this takes practice. After a very stinky round, getting into a good place can be very difficult, but your golfing life depends on it, right? So work on it. Think about good shots. Think about, I, I do believe that once, when you start using devices to kind of sort of analyze your swing, even when you have a bad round, if you take a few moments to go to the range and kind of get some accurate feedback, you can figure out what went wrong and put yourself in a better mood. So when you go home, you can be super happy person when you walk through that door. Now, I also believe that this is a great way to practice for when we go home. If we can get into the sort of mindset that as we're driving home, we're getting ourselves into a very happy place, that helps with work. It helps with everything else. It's just good sense, right, to walk in the door being as happy as possible. But especially after golf, take it to the next level and stay there. Watching golf, this is a tricky one. Watching golf can be very, very boring for somebody who's not geeking out on golf. Can be. It just is, right? It's not the most exciting sport especially on TV, with the hushed tones and this, that, and the stats they're throwing out. If, after you've watched an hour or two of golf, you put yourself in the best mood possible, your spouse will realize this, and she will begin to support. And again, I apologize. I always say she because of my wife, but for the ladies out there, the he's in your life, your spouse's, same thing goes, right? If, they, if our spouses recognize that we're happy when we get done watching golf, then you know what? We're going to get to watch more golf. It's just common sense. This is, I mean, right? This is remedial learning here. But I think sometimes we golfers get so focused in on our games and our improvement and our scores and what we experience that we kind of neglect the spouses. The podcast is really about taking maybe an unsupportive spouse who is unsupportive because we've kind of been employing, you know, the worst practices possible as golfers and turning those practices around to best practices. So our spouses actually, their lives improve because we're playing golf. Good times, right? When that's going on, it's good times. My sweet wife, when I'm struggling and she sees that I'm bumming out, she will ask me to go play golf. So the injury became very difficult for me, the wrist injury, as I could not just go play golf. But she still suggested it more in the line, along the lines of, I sure wish you could go play golf right now. And I got the message, right? And I try to fight out, you know, the, the demons and, and try to get myself into a better mood. But so that's sort of it, right? Figure out a way to make it so when you're playing golf and you're experiencing golf, it puts you in the best mood possible. You share that with your spouse. Even if you cannot share golf with your spouse, if they have no interest, they will at least be able to enjoy the fact that you are always in a better place after experiencing golf. And that's a huge deal. So 
Anyway, hopefully that's helpful to somebody out there. And if young Jordan Spieth is listening, you know, send me a text. We can talk. I'd be happy to share some more, some more tips and tricks to how to keep your wife happy. I do believe um, bringing home millions and millions of dollars from your play probably helps somewhat as well. But I've never really, um, I've never been able to do that. So I've had to come up with other ways of doing it. But that's it for today's podcast. Thank you for joining us here at Data Access Golf. We believe better data always means better golf. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Data Access Golf with Aaron Stewart. Check us out online at dataaccessgolf.com, and we'll see you on the next episode.